This is a special Uncommon Sense podcast for 3 FM with Amy Mullins. The interview you're about to hear is with Thomas Gurnett. Thomas joined me in the studio to talk about his job as head cider maker at Gurney Cider in Foster, South Gippsland. Thomas and I discuss the history of cider making as well as the methodologies used and how it all informs their practice at Gurney's. I'm Amy Mullins and it is the last show of Uncommon Sense for 2019, which means that we've been doing a bit of reflecting and we certainly have um, had some harrowing moments on this show, some laughs as well. We have to laugh, otherwise you'd cry about uh, British Australian and American politics. But we're now going to get into something that's slightly more festive and hopefully uplifting for the last hour of today. And that is to talk about cider. And um, it's a very multifaceted subject, as I discovered when I made my way down to South Gippsland, which is a stunning place. If anyone lives there, they're absolutely lucky and I'm sure they do realise that um, every day when they look out onto their uh, outlook from wherever they are. But one of the beautiful places in South Gippsland is a place called Gurney's Cidery and uh, it's a stunning place in Foster looking out across the hills. You can see Wilson's Promontory which is absolutely beautiful Um, and it's a really interesting place because Gurney's does some very interesting things, some things that other places in Australia aren't doing. And they're very much informed by um, tradition and history and some fascinating methodologies. So I have in the studio all the way down the highway um, from Foster. So I'm very grateful that he made the trip. Um, Thomas Gurnett, and he's the head cider maker at Gurney's Cidery. And uh, we're going to talk all about the history and methodology of cider making and uh, what you're doing over in the country in that beautiful part of the world. Welcome, Thomas, and thanks so much for coming onto the show. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. Um, it's, uh, South Gippsland, as you said, is really a marvellous part of the world. And we're very fortunate to have an amazing climate down here. And we've um, just planted some very old school cider apples in our orchard about four to five years ago. And for the first time um, in our part of the world, we're now growing amazing apples like Kingston Blacks and Yarlington Mills and Tremlett's Bitters and Slack My Girdles, <laughs> an array of uh, these amazing cider apples that do produce a bit of a vintage drop of cider so we're really getting a a bit creative down at our cidery in Gurneys Um, and we're also trialling a a bit of new stuff too because uh, the beautiful thing about Australia is that there is a a great opportunity to really define what cider is going to look like, taste like and smell like because in terms of Australian history um, it's still a very new drink. And I think um, maybe you'd agree, Amy, that for most people, they haven't really thought about what cider is and where it comes from and that long and amazing history that the, the humble apple has. Mm, it is humble. And it's a lot of people might only have exposure to an apple in a supermarket or a farmer's market and have a kind of idea of what apples taste like. Um, but there is a very wide ranging taste profile and the cider apples that are used are quite specific, aren't they, in terms of um, the high level of tannins that you might have in an apple and whether it is palatable to eat kind of raw. It, it certainly is. And the apples that we're using um, for cider are actually defined as what you might call a, a bitter sweet or a bitter sharp. And for the, for the normal palate, you might 
call this a spitting apple. So we're after apples that you, you bite into and then one second later your mouth just curls up with mouth puckering sourness and bitterness and you immediately want to spit it out. So those apples that are absolutely horrific to taste tend to make the best tasting cider. Um, so they're the apples that we're planting in the orchard. So we have had a couple of people when they visit the cider wander through um, one of the orchards and they've come back up and go, these apples you're growing are horrific. <laughs> Why, why are you making cider out of these? Um, we do have to say, you know, that it's not your average um, um, pink lady or your Granny Smith in these instances. Mm. These are just a little bit different. Yes, that's a, that's a nice way of saying it, isn't it? Um, I, I'm interested in um, cider and I think my kind of introduction to cider was maybe different from some others because I was fortunate when I was a um, young university student thankfully I'm still quite youthful but when I was super you know youthful I would go around to my little bottle shop around the corner which was Black Hearts and Sparrows and they'd have these like wine bottles that had a cork in the top and um, and they'd have like a really old school um, often French label and they'd be the most alcoholic strong tasting things I've ever had um, which were quite good I've got to say uh, but it was very yeah, it opened my mind as to what cider was and I hadn't yet tried those other kind of ones that turned up in the market a bit later, like the recorderlings and the, you know, um, the mass-produced, quite sweet um, ciders. And so we've now, in Australia, you know, seen a bit of a, a broadening, but we still have quite a narrow concept, presumably, of what cider would taste like and um, perhaps many people may not have had that opportunity and not had that range in their bottle shop of um, European ciders to trial and uh, and kind of get a sense of. Oh, ab absolutely. And the ciders you've probably tried in the, in the bottle shop, unfortunately, the vast majority of these are probably made from an apple concentrate which is most likely imported from your Chinas or South Americas and um, you're, you're really not drinking a cider at all and the family certainly wouldn't even classify mm. that as a cider if you are using a, an apple concentrate to produce your product um, because by using a, a concentrate quite often you're going to have to add a lot of flavorings um, to it artificial and or some natural flavorings and um, you're also going to find a lot of sugar in these products and a lot of these commercial brands will have up to two times as much sugar as a, a can of coca-cola and uh, it's really just um it's it's not the um in our opinion the correct way <laughs> to drink your cider at all and as you touched on those french ciders um i mean i mean what a amazing history and culture of drinking ciders over in particularly Normandy mm. where you find these amazing ciders and, and particularly in this region you'll find that the, the French in particular have mastered the dark art called keeving um, which is when you, you, you basically starve your cider of nutrients you form a chateau brun which is called the brown cap on top of your cider um, and then by removing that chateau brun you're removing the nitrogenous um, components of your cider meaning that as the cider ferments it'll only get so far before the yeast throw their hands up in the air in despair and go oh my goodness there's no food for me being the nitrogen and um, you're left with uh, just a little bit of residual sweetness um, and they're quite often the bottles you'll see in in the cork now mm. to date I'd, I can only think of one person or one producer in Australia who's had a successful keeve and that's down, um, they're called Red Sails down in the, the southern end of Tasmania um, so it is quite a, a, an art to master and um, maybe one day we'll get a bit better at it over here in <laughs> Australia 
Um, but they've had a lot longer to to practice, haven't they? Oh, they 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 certainly they certainly have. And um, this is the amazing thing about cider is um, you'll you'll see that the in Normandy, France, they've got their particular style and way of mm-hmm. drinking the cider or making the cider. And then if we head over to the West Country in your Somerset and Devon and um, Dorset in 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 England, they've got their own way of making the cider. And you'll find that they're scrumpies made for the the agriculturalist and then um, if we head over to the north of Spain in the Asteris regions over there you'll find that they're pouring um, the bottles over the head and it's um, splashing into the glasses and it's much more of an acetic or a vinegary-esque product but just pairing with tapas it's absolutely beautiful um, mm. so we can we can look at many cultures and their own cider history and um, and cultures and it's just very vivid colorful and um, and exciting mm. now I know that you have a slight accent and that means that I believe you had, um, I guess, an affinity with England in a sense, um, that you had time, spent some time in Somerset and were inspired by that kind of cider industry? Yeah, well, um, that's a, a good pick-up. Yeah, I am indeed. Um, you might say, unfortunately, originally from England, <laughs> given your, your last uh, segments there with all of the, the bread, Brexit dramas that are happening. Um, You're a refugee. <laughs> that, that's it. So, um, but we, we came over um, some time ago. My, um, we were fortunate enough. My mm. dad was a parks ranger, so we got to um, travel all the way around the world. Um, we were originally in Exmoor National Park, which is in wow. Somerset. Stunning. Um, Place. Uh, absolutely stunning um, but when we came um, we came over to Wilson's prom and we thought this is the best place in the world um, as anyone who's been to Wilson's yes. prom will probably think I second that <laughs> and um, we stayed and here we are nearly um, 20 years later mm. um, and the only thing of course that we couldn't find in Gippsland was a proper drop of cider um, because if we go back to uh, Somerset you'll find that cider is absolutely everywhere you'll see it on the tabs in the pubs you'll see little signs advertising scrumpy or farmhouse cider along the laneways from mm. the old farm farmers who are still making a, a drop of cider um, and quite often it, it can be uh, a, a little bit rough <laughs> so you might have heard <laughs> of the, the rough scrumpies but also increasingly you're seeing some of the finest cider in the world now and being produced um, in Somerset. So we've got amazing producers like Harry's Cider, um, which I was fortunate enough, um, I got to spend some time working with them, and they're just making amazing, um, rich cider using these vintage cider apples too and that was a, a lot of the inspiration by um i guess going back over and revisiting my um heritage there and mm. spending time with the producers it, it was really quite contagious yeah. and um as you, as you can tell um, um we absolutely love what we do now in gippsland of all places yeah well it's such a perfect place to have a cidery i feel like it it really aligns well and also given that um, we'll talk about the scrumpy because it is very much tied to the land and the local area that you're based in. So could you share with us where that um, a scrumpy has come from and what it essentially means um, broadly and then what it has meant for you over at Gurney's? 
Absolutely. So Scrumpy um, traditionally in the UK was a, the ad hoc collection of apples. Now typically Scrumpy would have been made by um, your, your farmers. Um, it's got a bit of a history because it was actually used for wages, um, believe it or not. So the farmers who could make the best Scrumpy would quite often have the best workers. <laughs> um, so this sort of refined some of the farmers' um, skills are making Scrumpy, but it was those ad hoc collection of apples. Um, the farmers didn't have, I guess, single vintages of uh, true cider apples, so they weren't always entirely sure of what they were doing. And by making um, the, the, the scrumpy, it, it gave them that extra source of income too, which was really important for the, the farmers down in that part of the world. Um, we've also uh, making a scrumpy at um, Gurney Cider, and we um, do this by foraging our apples across the Gippsland region. Um, so me and my brother, um, uh, shout out to James if you're listening, I'm <laughs> sure he is, and um, we take the trailer around um, Gippsland and we'll forage these apples. So we'll pick about three tonnes of wild apples every year and these are wild apple trees that are growing on the laneways, on the old rail trails, the stocking routes. Um, so already we, we found with our old um, the pioneer history down there, we've got um, the early pioneers who have thrown out that apple core on the the old steam train or along the old logging route and it's um, mm. grown a beautiful apple tree now and um, the amazing thing about these apples is if you if you plant a seed from a, a pink lady um, you won't get a, a new pink lady tree you'll get something entirely unique so each one of these apples that we forage is an entirely unique um, apple and their qualities and particularly their um, quality and cider is largely unknown so the experience the, the idea at Gurney's is that um, by foraging or discovering these apples, we're actually um, the best performing ones in terms of cider we are then grafting and putting in our orchard. So now we've discovered some unique Gippsland cider apple varieties. So we've got a, um, a Fish Creek Foster Railroad crab discovered on the <laughs> rail trail between the two towns. We've also got a Warrigal Wrangler, which was discovered in this really um, almost thorn-like apple tree outside Warrigal. We've got a Wee Helens discovered by a, a local um, just just last year, actually, which is an absolute tannic tart bomb. It's really quite mm -hmm. horrific, but amazing <laughs> for cider. Um, so it's it's the, the question that we're asking ourselves is what does cider look like in Gippsland and by discovering these unique Gippsland cider apple varieties we think we might answer that question over the long term at least. Indeed well you highlight something that has been part of the area is the kind of collecting wild fruit which has been something which a lot of my family members would do as children is to go around and pick berries and pick apples and you know we had tons of rhubarb growing everywhere in our backyard um, so there's so many beautiful um, farming kind of practices informal and formal in that area dairy farming and otherwise um, I'm also interested in how one might describe what a scrumpy would taste like if you're having such a diverse and interesting mix of flavours from the different apples. Presumably every year you have a very different scrumpy. 
Oh, we certainly do, and the best um, definition would probably be it's it's complicated, <laughs> and it, it certainly is with uh, many different or differing apple varieties in it. Because in just one of our scrumpy batches alone, there'd probably be close to well over fifty different apple varieties in that scrumpy. So each vintage is particularly different because um, we're never quite sure which apples we're going to find. And some years we may find that um, there's a particular tartness or sourness in the scrumpy. There are other years there might be a bit more of astringency or tannin. And you'll just notice that particularly in the scrumpy, we find there's just a bit more mid-palate too, just with the, um, it's moving between the different apple varieties in there. And it can be a very fine um, and enjoyable drink, particularly with food, um, things like cheeses um, and your, your meats and pork, which um, we happen to do very well in Gippsland too. And mm. um, we've got some fantastic cheese producers and um, pork and beef producers down in the region and lamb and um, cider, I think would be a, a a better pairing than your typical wines because it's got that ability to cut through the the fattiness or the lactic bodies in some of these um, um, producers. Mm, That's an excellent point. Um, It reminds me that I had Amelia on the show from Amber Creek Farm actually in 2017 um, who does a great job over there with her family um, managing a pig farm. Yeah, true. Um, Amelia, we're we're fortunate. We get to work very close with Amber Creek um, Sawmill and their organic um, pig farm there, and we actually feed all of our um, apple and pear pomace to the um, the pigs there. And then the, they also make some beautiful cabana, um, <laughs> some Polish sausage and chorizo, which we're fortunate enough to then serve on a plowman's platter in the cidery. And when you have a, a, a beautiful bit of um, uh, pork and some amazing cheeses, and we've partnered with um, Berries Creek. Down there, who make a ex- particularly exquisite blue cheese um, and a nice tart um, scrumpy to pair with. It's um, really my idea, at least a paradise. <laughs> I think you could describe it as a definition of paradise, even just the view, let alone the food and the drinks that you would encounter at Gurney's. And um, I think that, I mean, I'm also quite biased because, you know, my family's from that down that way but it is a really amazing kind of approach to cider making and what I found particularly interesting when we were chatting when I had a a quick stop over there and tried all the six was it ciders yeah plus some others um that there was such a just real difference between them in the flavors and what they were like like you know you had some very very dry ciders that were not really carbonated at all or just like really mildly and then you had others that just I mean they were almost champagne um, in the level of bubble and also you know dryness and it did have that kind of um, you know dry champagne edge to it. Yeah, we, we we certainly got a, a big mix of ciders down at Gurney's, and a, a lot of these we're really drawing inspiration from the from at least the English history of cider um, making. And you'll notice um, that um, we did have the sparkling champagne style of cider, the method um, traditional style. And I'm going to get quite controversial here and say that that's um, because the English invented sparkling um, cider. Um, oh. <laughs> and I know that's a touchy topic for. <laughs> some people but it is um well um documented that the english um invented what is the modern day sparkling bottle and it um we've got um records that date back to uh, lord scudamore's estate um down in the west country and he was experimenting making um what 
uh, was a sparkling uh, cider for the gentry, and this is happening in the middle of the 17th century, long before mm-hmm. the uh, the French were making what's considered as the um, modern day um, champagnes. Um, we've got um, records of of them adding what was a equivalent of a walnut sized worth of sugar into their um, flat cider, and then um, putting a, a cork in it or a bung, and then and burying it in sand to keep it nice and cool and containing the bubbles. Um, and the Lord Scudamore is actually well known now um, for discovering what was called at the time the Scudamore Crab. Um, and this has since been um, known as the Somerset Red Street Apple, which is an absolute vintage um, cider producing apple. Um, the, the necessity to make these sparkling ciders was really um, introduced because of, um, I guess, um, wars at the time where it was not uncommon that we were scrapping with our neighbours, the French and the the Spanish and the Portuguese. Uh, We we always enjoyed a good scrap with the neighbours and it was not until Cromwell closed the last port down in the Netherlands that uh, um, you couldn't get any wine in the UK and the sparkling cider became the the drink of choice. so yeah, that's just one example of um, the the sparkling side of things. It's um, political. It is. It is. It is very <laughs> political, and I may indeed ruffle some feathers to suggest yes. the English were uh, the first ones <laughs> making a a, fi- a a bit of a fizzy cider. Um, yeah, we might get some complaints from the French. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's the, great. Well, it's all backed up by evidence. There is no fake news here. No, no, it, it's it certainly is. Um, very, very true. And the other thing um, we were doing, you'll notice when you come to the cider, we have a hopped um, cider too, which a lot of people haven't um, heard about adding hops to cider. It's kind of a, a beer cider fusion, if you mm. will, because of course the hops adds the sort of a little bit more of a body to the cider. It can also add a little bit of sometimes those citrusy and tropical lime notes too. And this was actually also done in the 18th century in the UK too, um, because when they um, made their cider, they'd mill their apples and they put it in the press and press it to separate um, the the juice um, from the skin and mm-hmm. now that juice was um, designed um, for the uh, the male labourers at the time what they do with uh, um, the the skin after it was pressed would then um, fill it with water they let it soak for two days and then they'd actually press it again and they'd make a lighter strength um, cider for the women and the children so that, and that would come out at 3 to 4% and that was for the family to enjoy and they would quite often because of the low alcohol um, um, quantity in that um, cider they'd add mm. hops to help preserve it so the hop cider has also got a long um, history in the UK too that's insane. I can't believe that. Oh, my gosh. Well, I, that was one of the ones that I bought because I really liked it. I was surprised. Yeah, I love beer, I've got to say. Um, but that was – how would you describe it if someone was to taste it? So the the hop cider, the predominant apple we're using in there is called a Sturmipippin, which is an amazing apple. It grows incredibly well in South Gippsland, but the Sturmipippin is famed for being a bit of a tarty number. So there is a bit of the sourness there, and then you, um, once you go through that initial tartness on the palate, you move into the hoppy back end. So the mm. hoppy back end is uh, we've used the Waiiti hops, which is uh, um, it just introduces some of these lime and lemon flavours in there. It's a uh, it's a uh, particularly popular 
I have to say, on the warmer days and uh, on the the thirty plus days, mm. a hopped may well be one of the best sellers in the <laughs> in the in the cidery because it's nice and refreshing. Yes, it is very much, and um, there's also some of the. I'm thinking of is it the reserve ones um the, the one at, yep the orchard reserve yeah yeah that one was particularly interesting to me when i was looking at the label and the types of apples that go into that one um presumably they might change a bit every year i don't know but there's a number of apples and they have some quite funny and fantastic names oh, the 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 beautiful thing about um cider apples is that they do have some very um bizarre names including things like the slack my girdle and um uh, the woodbine and um, tremlet's bitter so they've, they've all got a, a little bit of character there but the, the orchard reserve you mentioned was a mix of these english and french um cider apple varieties mm. um and these are known for being very tannic and very drying um and they're they're really almost in the they're the equivalent of the red wine of the cider world because they do have that tannic qualities in there um so because our cider apple varieties so these english and french varieties in our orchard are still quite young so the four to five years old we've uh, just amalgamated all 30 plus varieties into our first reserve bottle there but as we move forward and the trees mature we'll be able to make some single variety ciders so you'll have a uh, a single variety um kingston black and a single variety dabinet and it's just like the wine world how mm. you have a your single variety wine grapes you know pinot noir and your chardonnay you can also do the same with not all but certainly some cider apple varieties too and they can um, be enjoyed like wine interesting do you know whether the french um make that approach with their cider because i know they're very strict regulation wise with their grapes and wine and have to you know make their wine from that region from the grapes that are from that region in the you know exact plot of land that they had it in like when I went to Bordeaux it seemed like they were quite proud of their you know almost single origin grapes and and wines good good question and um i i think in short i'm not entirely sure normandy is the prom um, prominent uh, cider region of um france mm. uh, i think it's more extends into a product that the french are very proud of which is their calvados and i think um to make a, a, a calvados there certainly are um so for those who don't know calvados is just um, distilled from an apple cider and then it's um, aged for some time. I think Calvados has to be aged for a minimum of three years in oak barrel um, to make a, 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 a high uh, vintage or a highly regarded Calvados it may have to be extended up to 15 years in barrel and I think um, correct me if I'm wrong but Calvados may be a particular region in France where they actually make the um, the, the Calvados in that area itself so um, they, they certainly have their own um, requirements for yes. the <laughs> distilled version of cider over there. They do. They are. Yeah. There's. Yeah. There's a depart. It's a department. Department in uh, Normandy. Yeah. It is. It is. Good work. <laughs> Your geography skills are off the chart. I'm doing very well so far. You are better than I would be. Um, so 
you mentioned their barrels. Um, I do know that you've been experimenting with some barrels as well. Yes, we have had a little play with the barrels. Um, and now barrels and cider, it's kind of a love-hate thing because many of the apple varieties that we, we are using and are some of the older um, heirloom dessert varieties, so Cox's mm-hmm. Orange Pippins and the Sturmey Pippins and the Ribston Pippins. So these are what would be defined as a dessert apple or in some cases a cooking apple. And these don't necessarily fare too well in barrels because barrels are really good for micro-oxidation. Um, where barrels really come alive are when you have uh, a bit of a stronger product and particularly for the vintage cider apples, so these spitting apples mm. where you're looking for some of these micro-oxidation um, just to break down some of the tannins in your in your cider. And once you start um, um, changing some of these tannins, you, you can get some very amazing um, phenolics and flavours in your cider, um, none more so than what's called as the bacon flavour, um, which has been particularly prevalent in some of uh, um, uh, Somerset. Um, we yeah. haven't had it um, happen in any of our ciders yet, but it starts off as a, a bit more of a, a peppery uh, uh, flavour um, that we'll find in our cider, but they can. And I certainly have had some move into what can only be described as a, a, a touch of smoky bacon <laughs> <laughs> flavour in some of the cider, but uh, um, um, we don't have any of those at the cidery just yet, and I'm not entirely sure if we'd want to go down that route altogether. Yeah. Interesting. Maybe that's the cheats vegetarian way of having some bacon in your diet. <laughs> Possibly, yeah. yeah. The, the other, um, I, I guess with uh, winemaking too, um, you, you've got to be careful with your, your barrels too because you can get um, faults with your cider and, of course, mm. the absolute worst fault you can get in the cider world as with the um, wine world is possibly mousiness and um, cider um, as it is a lower alcohol beverage and when it's in barrel for us it'll typically between be between seven to nine percent so we're at two to three percent lighter than a wine and um, you just got to be careful of um, mousiness mm. um, which for those who don't know what it is it's like licking the back of a gerbil it's um, quite, quite <laughs> terrific um and they're, they're the, um, I guess, the unwanted <laughs> flaws that you'll find in, in, in the cider world. Um, but fortunately, um, we haven't had any of those faults happen so far. Yeah, I'm sure you have um, a palate that is quite attuned and ready to step in should anything happen like that. Um, I, talking about the kind of ways that things are preserved and how um, it's bottled, I think I was interested in the fact that this is, um, now I've got to get it right, bottle conditioned. Correct, yeah. What does that mean? So the vast majority of our ciders have had the secondary fermentation in bottle, just like Lord Scudamore was doing all those centuries ago. Um, so by by doing that, it actually allows us to keep our preservative quantity down to a minimum. So for us, it is really important that we do use the absolute minimum amount of preservatives. It's not something that we want to do in a cider, and it's something that's, um, uh, apart from not adding any sugar to a cider and not diluting our cider, and not adding on the any preservatives or the absolute bare minimum was was high on the on the to-do list so bottle conditioning um, you'll add a little bit of a fresh apple juice to your um, cider and it undergoes that secondary fermentation in bottle and what that does is it scavenges up all of the remaining oxygen 
in your cider and that's actually um, really uh, it's a natural way of preserving the product um, mm. so you're having a, a, a cider that isn't pump full of um, yeah, your sulfates or your sorbates or any of the other nasties you might typically find in um, a commercial cider. Yeah and let's um, bring it back to a community level as well because it's Foster is a small place um, is. <laughs> very small <laughs> as is the, its surrounding towns like Fish Creek yes. and Menion um, and so you know most people know most people and yeah it's um, a beautiful community I think in, in my opinion but how have you felt and um, in being a business kind of based in this community and and kind of being part of that community how have you been received and how have you um, been supported I guess by your local community uh, well, this is the really exciting thing because the, the local community has just been fantastic um, because they didn't have to, um, I guess, em- embrace um, the cider, <laughs> um, but they, they really have gotten around it. And I, I think um, they're actually really proud um, now to um, see um, our establishments um, doing really well. And um, we're certainly now in all of the local pubs and the bottle shops. And um, I think um, Gipsley, land as a general rule of thumb we're not afraid to be a little bit different and we're not afraid to um, push the boundaries Um, and that's certainly what we're trying to do at Gurney so they've just been um, fantastic and every opportunity to support us they've taken and um, I I like to think that um, we are doing our best to support them and um, the cidery has a really uh, important philosophy of so- sourcing local. So you'll notice um, when you get to the cidery, these amazing timber structures and the beams that the cellar door itself has be- built out. And the whole cellar door itself has been built using materials from within a 50-kilometre radius. And all of the produce we source is from a 50-kilometre radius at the absolute max. So we're really um, trying to promote Mm. the other producers in the region and giving them a platform and the exposure um, to those tourists who are heading down to the prom or uh, further afield across to the the lakes. Um, So, yeah, they've been fantastic in short. That's lovely to hear. Now, I know that you've got um, a summer sunset sessions series of um what is it a weekend kind of experience it is a a bit of a a a weekend uh a sunset at the cidery um every saturday in january um we're going to have a little bit of fun at the farm uh, we've got um, the amazing Trulies um, Woodfire Pizza will be taking over the kitchen thank goodness it's not me um, <laughs> and they'll be making the amazing Woodfire Pizzas which they just do so well um, we've also got some cider yoga um, happening so we'll just um, be out on the lawn soaking up the view and just doing a bit of flexing and stretching with a, a, a cold cider in hand <laughs> and then we've also got a bit of live music too so we've got um, the likes of David Dower and Ellie Pauletti. Um, we've got uh, the Nick Carver, mm-hmm. uh, the Mean Street duo. Um, we've also got the extremely talented AM reruns. Um, um, and then last, we've got the Blind Cobbler. Um, 
too, which is an Irish band. So there's there's a bit of music. Hopefully there's something for everyone on a Saturday that um, sort of ticks, takes their fancy. And then, yeah, um, yeah we'll just um, be soaking up the sunshine, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. I think January, it's hard to get a day that isn't sunny, isn't it? It, it should be pretty good. But so far, the weather's been um, pretty um, temperamental. Yes, I think it's fair to say. Yeah. Um, we've, we've had some shockers, but um, I think hopefully we're sort of just settling into summer now and the weather uh, come January it's going to be good let's be positive it's yeah. going to be perfect <laughs> <Talk> <laughs> <up>. exactly <laughs> yes well South Gippsland is looking very green it's had a lot of rain oh, it it hasn't stopped. Yeah. <laughs> um, I must have been there for the week. One week it barely rained. I think it was like just light drizzle one day. And it was really ironic. We had a, a really beautiful weekend and we took off the mold side. We were doing, okay, here comes here comes spring, yeah. here comes summer. It's going to be it's gonna be warm. And then the next weekend after we were back down to 12 and 14 <laughs> degrees again. Um, but no, I think um, we've cracked the back of it now and we're, yeah. we're in summer. So um, it's cider drinking season has oh, yes. descended. Yeah. And just finally, I just wanted to mention the iced cider, which is really amazing. Could you just share with us how that's made? Because I think that's something people might want to try and think about. The, the ice cider um, nearly gave my father a heart attack because he was very worried <laughs> at the time when I told him we're going to take 4,000 litres of juice and we're going to walk away with barely 700 litres of juice. But we basically froze our juice in a big 1,000 litre juice cube. Um, come spring, we sat it out on the lawn and uh, and slowly it starts to melt. And what you're doing is you're leveraging the different freezing uh, melting points of water and sugar. So what drips mm. out is this super rich it's almost like a molasses or a honey that drips out it's brown and viscous and then we pumped that into our tank and and managed to get that fermenting and uh, the yeast um, work we had to use a quite an aggressive champagne yeast and it managed to get to 15 percent before the yeast said oh my goodness I can't take this anymore and they threw their hands up in despair and uh, stopped fermenting and we were left with all this amazing residual sweetness these natural sugars and this amazing um, tartness um, and yeah, it's been bottled in these nice little bottles, but it's um, called the um, apple essence. And the reason it's called that is because when you try this, it tastes like you're eating six apples at a time. It's an absolute flavor explosion. Um, I, yeah, I think that's the best way to describe it. It's a very unique product. And it's I didn't find it too sweet because I don't really like sugary things, but it just seemed like it struck a balance. We, we, I think we got quite lucky yeah, in, in right. terms so the potential sugar um, would could have gone up to 18%. That was the potential sugar mm. in there, but the yeast stopped at 15%. So we've got about, oh, what's that, 18, 36, 48 grams per litre worth of residual sugar in there, which isn't a, an absolute sugar bomb, but it's just enough to really give it this big, bright apple flavour. Um, it's quite remarkable, yeah. but no, it's certainly not over the top. Fantastic. Thank you for coming in and chatting about cider and gurneys because it's just amazing to understand or start to understand what goes into it. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting um, me in. Um, yeah, I've had a great time. Oh, good. So have <laughs> I. I hope everyone else listening has enjoyed it too. And um, they can head down to South Gippsland and the Prom and etc. There are so many towns in that area that are worth visiting Um, and uh, as we said the Gurney Sunset Sessions is on every Saturday in January and it starts at 6 between 6 and 6.30 um, and runs until 9.30 so very um, civilised 
and worth attending, which you can um, book, can't you, through the online? Yes, you can. If you pop to our, our website, Gurney Cider, um, or you uh, Google us an Eventbrite, you'll you'll see it there. And if you book the tickets, um, I'll be out um, in my yoga pants <laughs> <laughs> on, on the lawn jo- joining you for a few ciders and we'll all be having a really good time. So, yeah, we look forward to coming down. And please do um, come down to um, not just Gurney's too, but visit mm. everything else that the region has to on offer to show you because there's no shortage of things to do, see, and most importantly, taste and drink. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think for me, a week is too short. You like there's, as you said, so much there. It's just beautiful. You could spend a lifetime and you still wouldn't have seen it all. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Make your way down to Squeaky Beach too. It's really stunning. Squeak some and sand squeaks. between the toes. Yeah. <laughs> fantastic. Uh, I've been speaking with Thomas Gurnett, who is the head cider maker at Gurney's Cider, and it's based over in Foster in South Gippsland. Um, highly recommend you heading down when you can. And uh, normal opening hours, I believe, are Wednesday to Sunday. Yes, typically Wednesday to Sunday, but um, uh, as, after the, the week after next, we'll be open seven days a week. So the oh, only day hello. we won't the only day we won't be open is Christmas Day itself. So spare a thought for the family. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> spare a thought for the Gurnets. Yeah. Well, you better go and say hi to Thomas and James and your dad yep. as well, and your mum. Does she hang out there a bit? Yes, she'll be hanging out there oh, over, cool. over the summer. It's a complete family the affair. Family. We're all absolutely um, crazy about apples and crazy <laughs> about what we do. So we love talking to people and showing people um, what we're all about down there. So, yeah, we'll, uh, we look forward to seeing you all. Might see a few Melburnians and beyond. 